Chapter 2 All Have Sinned For There Is No Distinction Romans chapter 3 verse 22 This is one of the most difficult statements to receive in all the Bible, and I can well understand how the unsaved person would resent its application. I can hear him say, What? No difference between the person who has fallen to the very lowest depths of sin and wretchedness and the person who, boasting of his morality, has swerved only a little from the path of duty and the law of God? And the answer to this question is both yes and no. There is a difference in heinousness and degradation as wide as the poles, but there is no difference as far as guilt is concerned, for both have rejected the Son of God, and this is the sin of sins. If two men were before the court, one charged with a great offense and the other with one of less degree, it would not much benefit the second man to say, But your honor, I am not as great an offender as my companion in misery. The judge might well reply, You are both guilty. In that there is no difference. And this is the teaching of my text. God's word declares, Whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles in one point, has become guilty of all. James chapter 2 verse 10. This does not mean, of course, that he has necessarily broken every law, but he has broken away from God by his transgression. If I am held a prisoner by a chain, it is not necessary for me to break every link in the chain in order to be free, but I only need to break one link, and that the very weakest. In the same way, he who offends in one point is guilty of all and nothing less, while he who offends in all points is guilty of all, and nothing more. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3 verse 23. Three important questions grow out of this text as I have considered it. First, I do not ask if you are a sinner, for as we usually use this word, we think of one who is lawless, wild, and profane. I ask instead, have you offended in one single point? If so, there is no distinction. Man would not say it, I know, but God says it, and it is written in the book, and by the book we will be judged. Look at the prodigal. He was as truly a prodigal when he had taken the first step over the threshold of his father's house as when you see him later sitting in the midst of the swine trying to fill his belly with husks that the swine were eating. He is more degraded in the second picture, but not more guilty. Look at the leper. He is just as truly dead when the first sign of the dread disease appears, even though it may be small, as when you later see him, a loathsome object, sitting outside the city gates with bandaged mouth crying, Unclean! Unclean! He was a leper, however, from the beginning and was dead by the law. This is the teaching of the text. If you have rejected the Son of God, no matter your position, there is no distinction. All are similarly lost. It is not even a question of great sin. Many people might plead not guilty if they were accused of some great sin, but it is the same with all sin. There is a text that declares our hidden sins in the light of your presence, Psalm 90 verse 8, and another that says, 
all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we must answer. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13. In the light of this, who can stand? Not long ago, in one of the school buildings of Chicago, a picture of an eye was placed upon the blackboard as an illustration, and soon, by order of the school board, it was painted over, for it had been so perfectly painted that no matter where a child would be in the room, the eye seemed to be looking at the child. The effect was disastrous. There is one eye, though, that never slumbers and can never be painted out. You are a God who sees me. Genesis chapter 16, verse 13. The sin was at midnight, he saw it. It was in New York or London or Paris, he saw it. Therefore, you must plead guilty to the charge of secret or hidden sin, and there is no distinction. Sinful Thoughts But the charge is even closer. We are responsible for the sinful thought that lingers in the mind by the consent of our will. Who can stand in the light of this? A distinguished scientist has made the statement, which wise men receive, that if someone stands out in the sunlight and acts, his act, good or bad, flashes away to the sun, and a picture is made that is never lost. And if he speaks, the sound leaps away up and up, far beyond his reach, and makes its record forever. If he refuses to step into the light or speak a word in the darkness, the scientist declares that by the very thoughts of his mind, certain physical disturbances occur that make a record lasting as long as time. I remember sending a telegram in a western city, and shortly after realizing that my message had been wrong, I made my way to the office to recall it. The operator said with a smile, It is gone, and is flashing over the wires now beyond my recall. It is the same with your sinful thoughts. They leap away and no one can recall them once they are gone. The answer to this charge must be guilty. Beginning in Sin Some are beginning now, held by the fascination of the evil one, and lured on by his charms they are rushing on to hell. On one of the busiest streets of the bright city of Paris stands a building famous for its beauty. Over the magnificent doorway you may read these words, Nothing to pay. The admission is free, the entertainment within is fascinating, and hundreds of young men pass through the portals, the majority of them taking their first or last step to hell. All sin is dearly bought, for it has hell behind it. It ruins the life, wrecks the character, and blasts the fondest hopes of the soul. When that dreadful day comes and your status is gone, your character is lost, the hearts of your loved ones are broken and you are cast as a stranded wreck on the shores of time, you will cry out in terror, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free? Romans chapter 7 verse 24 And there will be no deliverance. You will be more degraded than now, but not more guilty than now. For the greatest of sins is the sin of unbelief, and that was the cause of your downfall. There is no distinction. God pity you. Do you know the Bible description of the end of a career of sin from the world's standpoint? There will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Matthew chapter 13 verse 42. 
Scripture. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral persons, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices lying. Revelation chapter 22, verse 15. May God save us from such a company. A minister could never lead a person to serious thought until he quoted the text, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. Psalm 9, verse 17, King James Version. Humanly speaking, great sin is not necessary, but simply forget him, and there is no distinction. If you have read that remarkable book, Robert Falconer, written by George MacDonald, you will remember the dream of the wife of Andrew Falconer. He was a drunkard, and after her death he was told about her dream and it resulted in his conversion. She said in her letter, which she had written him, I thought, Andrew, that the resurrection morn had come, and I was looking everywhere for you. Finally, in my wanderings, I came to a great abyss. It was not so very wide, but it was very deep and was filled with blue, like the blue of the sky. On the other side I saw you, Andrew, and I gave a shriek which all the universe must have heard. Something made me look around. Then I saw one coming toward me. He had a face, oh, such a face, fairer than all the sons of men. He had on a garment which came down to his feet, and as he walked toward me, I saw in his feet the print of the nails. Then I knew who he was. I fell at his feet and cried, O oh Lord, Andrew, Andrew. Daughter, would you go to him? I said, Yes, Lord. And Andrew, he took me by the hand and led out over the abyss, and we came nearer and nearer until at last we were united, and then he led us back to be with him forever. Oh, my friends, not in the next world, if not in this, but here and now we may be made one in him, one for time and eternity. However, if we fail in this here, all hope is gone, and there is before us only the darkness of despair, for there is no distinction. The second question is of the greatest importance. Do you measure up to God's standard? It is not enough to simply be a member of a church. Scripture, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 through 23. We have such a way of measuring ourselves by ourselves so that we may feel very satisfied with the result. But what about God's standard? Upon my return home at one time, my wife placed in my hands a piece of paper that had writing all over it, but only two words were legible. At the top of the page, the word carriage was plainly written. The next word was the same, only not as well written. It was my little daughter's first copybook. The teacher had written the word at the top of the line, and my daughter had done fairly well as long as she had looked at the copy. But she had fallen into the serious error of copying the line just above her work, and the word at the bottom of the page as nearly spelled man as carriage. In the same way, 
people measure themselves by those around them, forgetting that God said, Look unto me and be ye saved. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22, King James Version. You may be better than many members of the church, but how does that help you? You may be the best person in your community, but that does not save. What about God's standard? I am told that the Queen frequently issues an order for soldiers to compose her guard. Every man must be at least six feet tall. I can imagine some young Englishmen measuring themselves by themselves until at last one man in great delight exclaims, I will surely get in, for I am the tallest man in town. He might well be, but when he stands before Her Majesty's officer, he is rejected, for he is three quarters of an inch under the mark. Being taller than his friends did not help him at all. They had all fallen short, some more and some less, but there is no distinction. If you turn my question upon myself, I confess that I do fully come up to the high standard of God, not in myself in any way, far from it, but in Christ. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Romans chapter 10 verse 4 and he makes up for that in which i fall short it is no point as to whether adam or eve were more sinful for they were both guilty and there is no distinction the worst sin of all is not drunkenness although that is horrible and it is not immorality although that is wicked the worst sin of all is the rejection of god's mercy or the sin of unbelief. Scripture He that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. John chapter 3 verse 18, King James Version Sinner, whosoever he is among you, either great or small, if he fails here, he stands with the condemned, and there is no distinction. The third and last important question is this. What is the remedy? There is another no distinction that answers the question. Scripture. There is no distinction, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans chapter 10 verses 12 through 13. It is useless to try by any amount of exertion, feeling, or even prayer to bring about faith. I have had my own experience in this. God says in His Word, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, King James Version. This is a sure way. A college student was greatly troubled spiritually and was discussing his difficulties with one of the professors until midnight. Just as he was leaving the house, going out into the darkness, the professor placed a lantern in his hands and said, Take it, George. It will light your way home a step at a time. This is what the Bible does. That lantern did not light up the forest, nor make the landscape bright. It was not meant to do that. It did, though, make every step bright. Man was lost by hearing Satan. He can only be saved by hearing God. Plant your feet firmly by faith on one single promise, 
and God will begin at once to make the way clear if you will only believe Him. The Philippian jailer asked, What must I do to be saved? Paul's answer was, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Acts chapter 16, verses 30 through 31. And there is no respecting of persons, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. A friend of mine told me that when he went to climb the Matterhorn, he was besieged by men who were waiting at the base of the mountain, ready to guide him up the difficult way. However, most of them would have never brought him down in safety, for they were simply men out of employment. He very easily, however, secured a safe guide when he said, Show me your papers. Then the men who were without them stepped back, while the real guides stepped forward. Holding out their papers, he read something like this, We the undersigned have climbed the Matterhorn under the care of such a guide, giving his name, and we commend him to our friends. Then followed the names of people of great renown at home and abroad, such as a member of parliament, a member of congress, and your personal friend. My friend at once felt secure because others had made the trip in safety. It is like that when you are under condemnation and you ask, What must I do? Unbelief attempts an answer. Philosophy makes a vain effort to reply. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, comes with the rest. Let me suggest to you the real test. Ask them each, What have you done? Demand each of them to show you their papers. Then he will come, whose garments are dyed red, whose hands were pierced, and whose heart was broken. He who died and rose again, that he might become the justifier of all who believe. Romans chapter 3, verse 26. And on the very palms of his hands you read the names of John Bunyan, John Newton, Jerry Macaulay, and brighter than them all, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He has saved us and kept us, and in His presence we rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. 1 Peter 1, verse 8. And this is enough. I for one will say, Blessed Lord, if You can save others, and I know that You can, You can save me, and I pray that You will do it now. Will You join me in this now? To sum it all up, if you want to escape condemnation, you simply need to have a willing mind about salvation. Have a willing mind about salvation. Then, by faith, accept what He in grace offers you. I have heard Christian workers say to sincere inquirers, Give your heart to God, and you may be saved. But this is unscriptural. At least, the order is wrong. First accept the gift of eternal life, and then give yourself to Him out of gratitude for His goodness. The first saves you. The second is the first fruit of your salvation. When William Dawson, the celebrated street preacher, was conducting a street meeting in London, he was told of a young man in a neighboring house who was dying. Dawson climbed the rickety stairway and stood by the bedside of a young man, a victim of consumption, who was nearing eternity. He was the son of wealthy parents, 
but his father had cast him off because of his sin. When William Dawson said he would intercede with the father on behalf of the son, the boy said it would be useless, for the father had cast him off long ago. It almost seemed that he was right. For when Mr. Dawson entered the spacious mansion and mentioned the boy's name, the father said, If you have come, sir, to talk of that reprobate, I will ask you to leave. He is no son of mine. Well, sir, said the preacher, he will not be here long to trouble you, for I left him dying. In a moment, the man's whole attitude changed. He said, Is he sick? Is Joseph ill? Then take me to him. Soon he was on his knees by the side of the dying boy with his arms around him and his head on his chest. All the boy could say was, Father, can you forgive me? And the strong man could only sob, Oh, Joseph, my son, my son, I would have forgiven you months ago if you would only have received it. My friends, I bring you good news indeed, glad tidings of great joy. God, in Christ, has forgiven you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. And if you want to be saved, you only need to accept His gracious gift. The first no distinction is discouraging, but the second one is sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. Psalm 19, verse 10. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved.